Good evening. Glad to see each one of you here this evening. Thanks for coming to our midweek service as we push the pause button midweek and uh, get filled up with God's Word, get filled up in His presence as we worship Him and remind ourselves through our worship that He is our God. He loves us deeply and we remind ourselves of what He's done for us. If you are joining us um, online, we're so glad that you're here with us as well. And as you can see this evening, we're going to partake of communion um, a little bit later in our service. So if you're at home, we encourage you to grab some elements so you can participate with us. But again, these elements remind us of what of God's great love for us, that he gave his son, that Jesus willingly came and gave his life for us so that we could have a life filled with hope, a life filled with purpose and uh, a life filled, connected with God, knowing that we'll be with him forever. Now, let's stand together and let's worship our great God for all the great things that he's done. Come let us worship our King. Come let us bow at his feet. He has done great things. What our Savior has done See how His love overcomes He has done great things God, you do great things Oh, hero of heaven You conquered the grave You freed every captive And break every chain Oh, God, you have done great Every chain, oh God, you have done great. 
God who does great things, the God we can put our hope in. Strength will rise as we wait upon the Lord. Wait upon the Lord. We will wait upon the Lord. Strength will rise as we wait upon the Lord. Wait upon the Lord. We will wait upon the Lord. Thank you. 
There's nothing worth more that will ever come close. No thing can compare. You're my living hope. Your presence. I've tasted and seen of the sweetest of loves, where my heart becomes free. My shame is undone in your presence, Lord. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Confide this place, fill the Nothing worth more that will ever come close. No thing can compare. Your living home, your presence. I've tasted and of the sweetest of loves, when my heart becomes free and my shame is undone in your presence, Lord. Holy Spirit, you are Let us experience 
our prayer this evening that we would so be overwhelmed by you because we've been here tonight God teach us tonight from your word how we can be completely satisfied each and every day as we allow you Holy Spirit to move in our lives to be filled by you to be guided by you to be taught by you just as Jesus promised that you are our helper you are our counselor and you are the one the ever presence of the almighty God in our lives teach us now in Jesus name amen Amen. you may be seated all right well it's good to see you all and um, so Tom is going to be passing out a little gift for you everybody gets a gift And uh, I want to talk tonight about what we were just singing about, the Holy Spirit, God's gift to every child of God, God's free gift of his own holy presence living within us. So as Tom is passing these out, I'm going to just start with a story. Um. I grew up with a dad who, in, in many respects, was a good man, but he was an angry man. And he drank a lot, and when he drank, he was very angry. And we had eight children in our family, and, uh, you know, times were oftentimes pretty tough. You know, my dad was a Norwegian carpenter, meaning he was born in Norway, and he came here as a, and made his living as a carpenter. But in Oregon, it rains a lot, and so he was out of work a lot in the wintertime. So when he was out of work, especially, he took a lot of time drinking. So I grew up in this atmosphere that was basically filled with my father's anger. And some of you can identify with that growing up where your father's voice really matters. What your father says to you and about you determines largely what you think about yourself. That is to say, your identity, who you think you are. 
And then also, your father's voice determines in large part how you feel about yourself. That is your dignity, your worth. And my dad used to tell me and my siblings, this was the basic message. I heard it in various ways and usually at high volume, but it went something like this. You're stupid. You're no good. And you'll never amount to anything. That's a pretty serious pronouncement coming from a father to a small boy. Because as I said, your father's voice determines in large part what you think about yourself. That's your identity. How you feel about yourself. That's your dignity. And your identity and your dignity tied together will conspire to determine a lot of the choices you make in life. And the choices you make will determine your destiny. So you, I grew up very angry, in an angry atmosphere, and with a lot of hatred, you know, toward my dad. Not all the time, but a lot of the time. you got to be careful about who you hate. Because you become like them, whether you want to be or not. So I grew up with that, very wounded. And I followed the footsteps of my father, really. You know, by the time I was 18 or 19, I was drinking and doing drugs and acting crazy. And, you know, I dragged all my stuff along with me wherever I went. So I went into the Army in 1971 when Vietnam was raging. And another guy, another soldier who I didn't even know, shared the gospel with me. And I came to Christ. But I have to say, I didn't get much in the way of follow-up. I didn't understand a lot of the things I know now. I didn't understand what it, you know, how a person matures in Christ. You know, I just kind of thought, well, I've got God in my life now, and here's your job description, God, in case you want to know why we even have you. It's to bail us out when we get in trouble. So now you know. So I gave him plenty of opportunities to exercise his job description. But, you know, then I, when I got out of the Army, I, I, I went on the GI Bill to Portland State, and I met some Christians there with Campus Crusade for Christ. And um, I was invited to go to what they call a Christmas conference. And um, I wanted to ski. I didn't want to go to a Christmas conference. I just wanted to ski over Christmas holiday. And, but I liked the guy who was the head of the ministry on the campus, and so I thought, well, I'll go once, you know. I'll go once and just kind of get him off my back, and I'll go back to the mountain. Now, hold that thought. So in the meantime, there's my dad, a crazy old Norwegian carpenter. And my dad had, used to love these old, big old boat cars, you know, that you get back in the 70s. He had a 1959 Chevrolet Impala, you know, with big fins on it, two-door hardtop, had tri-power, 348 engine in it. He used to say it could pass anything on the road but a gas station. 
Well, the one time I was using his car, I needed to use his car, and you know, somewhere, for some reason, it conked out alongside the road. Out there in Milwaukee, where he lived, it just conked out, and um, uh, I didn't know what was the matter, but anyway, found my way home, left the car sitting there on the Milwaukee Expressway, and so we got a, he had a, a yellow pickup, and so he got his tow dolly, rented a tow dolly, and we went down there and hooked up the the, the big boat to the to the back of his truck, and we were, I was driving, we were going down the road, it happened to be in the thick of the traffic, the time of the day when the traffic was very heavy, and my dad, you know, was a backseat driver if there ever was one. I mean, he wouldn't let you just drive. Every single move you made was under his inspection, constantly. So we're driving down the road, and there's traffic all around, and that big boat that we were, you know, the, of a car that we were hauling was fishtailing. You know what that is? I mean, the, 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 the pickup just couldn't keep it under control. And so that thing was just waving from side to side. And there was traffic, there were cars on, on both sides. And, and I'm just concentrating, doing the best I can to get this thing down to the garage where we were taking it. In the meantime, my dad, of course, is smoking his cigarette with the cab, in the cab with his windows rolled up naturally, and he's yelling at me in his thick Norwegian accent, <clears throat> saying stuff like, wait a minute now, wait a minute now, watch it now, watch it, what in the world are you doing now, Yimmy? that's me, Yimmy, what in the world are you doing, watch it now, watch it, and it went on and on and on like that, and I am just, can feel my, I can just feel my anger just welling up. You ever been in a spot like that? That's where I was, with my dad screaming in my ear, cigarette smoke billowing at me, and it's just driving me nuts. And I've been trying, trying to be a Christian under all that. And as I'm going along, I can just feel my blood boiling. Now, my dad, you have to understand, my dad was a carpenter. You know, you know who Popeye the sailor man is, right? My dad was like Popeye the sailor man. He was kind of small of stature, but he had forearms about that big. And he was a tough dude. And so we're driving down the road, and he's yelling at me, and I'm feeling this thing just welling up, and I just know that I'm going to explode. And, you know, I'd never, ever, even one time, exploded at my dad because I wanted to live a long and healthy life. <laughs> but I couldn't take it anymore. And then finally, I just screamed in the cab. As he's screaming at me, I said, shut up! And it worked. <laughs> and as I'm driving along, I'm just focusing straight ahead, not looking at him, but I can feel his eyes on me. And I can see through the corner of my eye that cigarette that he was holding between his nicotine-stained fingers. And as we're driving along, the, the ashes on his cigarette start to curl over. And finally, they just drop. And then, in the silence, he finally breaks the silence and says, 
So, you call yourself a Christian. That it was a that was an, a, a sucker punch. I thought that just made me matter. But then I thought, oh no, now I'm stuck. So I'm just driving along, and I'm feeling this voice or hearing this voice speaking to me, and it's not him. It wasn't even me. Guess who else was in the cab with me? And I heard in very clear terms. You need to ask for forgiveness. That was the Holy Spirit. You need to ask for forgiveness. And I said, not in this life. (laughs) I've been listening to that all my life, and I'm done. And the silence continued. And I heard that voice say the same thing again. You need to ask forgiveness. And finally, just the sense of conviction of the Holy Spirit that was weighing on me so much, I couldn't take take that anymore. That was almost as bad as my dad yelling at me. And so finally, I just said, Dad, Sorry, I yelled at you back there. And he didn't see that one coming. And now he was stunned into silence. And we continued to drive on. And then finally he says, Yeah. Okay. That was it. That's all I heard. Okay. Well, I wish I could tell you that that was the cure-all and end-all of all that stuff. Because there are many times after that, even before that, that I just get so mad at my dad. The way he would talk to me like I was a little kid and demean me and tell me I'm stupid. What kind of stupid thing are you doing? On and on and on like that. Just didn't. And I just remembered crying out to God one day. I was at his apartment, and I just couldn't take it anymore. I bolted out of there and I said, God, I can't do this. I can't. I can't love him. I don't have it in me to honor him. I just can't. I don't know what to do. So the Christmas conference I was invited to. Luis Palau. Anybody here know who Luis Palau is? He was speaking. He was a young, much younger man at that time. This was in, I think, 1979 or something like that. And, um, no, no, 1974. Yeah, 1974. But he was a much younger man. And he was speaking on the power of the Holy Spirit for the believer. Who is given to us by God to enable us to live the Christian life. To actually live... An impossible life because the Christian life isn't just hard. It's impossible. You cannot live the Christian life in your own strength. I know I can't. It's not possible. 
But the things impossible with men are possible with God. And he makes it possible for us to be able to love the unlovely, to bless those who curse us, to love our enemies. He makes it... He's given us a gift, and that's what I want to share with you tonight. You have the little booklet there. And I... I heard this, I, he, I heard the message, and then later on we had a special seminar where one of the staff members of Campus Crusade went through this little booklet with everybody, and it's kind of laid out in kind of a nice, neat form, and, you know, life doesn't come to us in nice, neat piles. We all know that. It's generally pretty messy. You know, I just told you about one of my messy stories, and there's more where that came from. But the Scripture is clear. The scripture and the promises of God are sure. And they're understandable. Because the Holy Spirit, who is our teacher, who is given to us to guide us into the truth and to guide the truth into us, so that that which we cannot do, we can do in his spirit. But I have to say, and if anybody else is out there who's like me, I'm not that teachable until I hit the wall a few times and then I become teachable. So that's kind of the way it goes. But God is so, so, so patient with us. Uh, even when we're full of sass, even when we're just absolutely resisting, and we, you can smell the rubber burning, you, can, you know, the brakes are on lock. And yet God is able, and he is, knows how to speak into our lives in a way we'll understand that it's him speaking and not we ourselves. So this booklet here, Satisfied. Now, as I became, became familiar with this understanding, this truth, I began to, I wanted to share it with other people. Now, there was a guy, I was a sports editor on the newspaper at Portland State when I was there, going to school, and we had this copy editor who was a Christian, at least that's what he said, and man, that guy was a crab. I mean, you know, and he complained. You remember Eeyore walking around like this? You know, and that was, this, he was this copy editor, and, and he was critical and hard to get along with, and man, I just didn't like that guy. But I'd been to the Christmas conference, and I thought, I know how to fix his wagon. And so I thought, I'll invite him out for coffee. And I'll go through this little booklet with him. Well, you know, he accepted the invitation. We went out for coffee, and I was so full of tact. I just sat down with him and started reading through the booklet with him without even really asking him if he was interested. So he wasn't. And he got up after I probably got not even through a page or two, and he just got up and went off in a huff leaving me sitting there at the table by myself. And I thought, well, that was rude. Of course, I'm more rude. So uh, my last name is, anyway, it's just a little joke. More rude, you know. Anyway, so I just sat there and I thought, wow, I don't know what his problem was. I think this is good. So I started reading through it on my own. Just started reading through it. And as I went through it, I thought, Again, I heard this voice saying, you know, Jim, 
you do have what we call a board in the eye. I mean, you know, you don't use stuff like this to, to fix people, okay? <laughs> to bonk people over the head with it. This is truth that will set you free. So I was reading through this and I realized I'm just as carnal as he is. I'm just as, you know, messed up. And I kept reading through it, and I read through it to the end, and at the very end of it, I, I actually yielded my mess to the Lord. And I just remember feeling this great sense of freedom and peace. And I thought, wow, this is great, you know. And so God used that guy in my life. When I thought I was going to fix him, I wound up getting fixed instead. And, you know, this truth of the power of the Holy Spirit. I don't know why or how it somehow gets obscured in my mind and maybe all around, but we do kind of take on this sense of burden, like I've got to grunt and groan and push and shove and try to you know, grind my way through the Christian life. Now, the Christian life is, as I said, it's impossible, but it's not easy. And it's, it's, it's actually simple when you understand that it is impossible. It's simple. Because you know, I can't do this. So this is what I want to do, is just kind of go through this thing step by step. We're not going to get through the whole thing, because I'm not going to try, we've got plenty of time, but I'm still not going to try to make anybody drink out of a fire hose or get through this as far and as fast as we can, like we're going to get mileage plus credit or something for what we can accomplish. You know, what I want you to do is take this home with you. Read through it on your own. Pray through it on your own. I mean, there's a lot of, it's full of scriptures, so you're going to be praying scriptures. Just, look, just listen to what God has, may, might have to say to you. So tonight, I'm just looking at it as like, this is what God is saying to me. So what that means is, you're just a bunch of eavesdroppers, Okay. So if the shoe fits, you can wear it too. That's fine. But let's just look at it that way. You, you have this. Did you catch, catch one? I think you came in a little late. Did you get one? Good. Okay, everybody's armed and dangerous around here. So now, I want you to bring it back next week. I don't have a whole lot of these things. I got enough to give to everybody tonight. But I'd like you to you know, just make sure you remember the grade school, it's your homework. You don't let the dog eat your homework. Um, just take it, read it through, and then bring it back next week, okay? Can we do that? So put it in a safe place. But, you know, look through it, read through it. You have, should have time, I suppose, during the course of the week that you can go through the whole thing. And just pray about it. So let's go ahead and open it. It's called Satisfied. Satisfied. It's with a question mark, meaning are you satisfied? So when you look at this little list here, as you open this to the first page, you see, well, what words would you use to describe your current experience as a Christian? And it could be many words, and it could be other words, as you can see at the bottom of the second column there, it just says others. So you can kind of fill in the blank yourself. Now, words mean things. They describe things. They're, they're kind of, can help us to kind of get a bead on where we are. And it could be that at various times in your life you've experienced all of the above or some of the above. I mentioned in my life, especially at that time years ago, I would have thrown angry in there. You know, that would have been very characteristic. 
Um, but as you look at this and just kind of survey your own heart and ask the Lord to search your heart, would you say to the next question on the next page, do you desire more? Are you satisfied where you are? Or is there a certain sense of dissatisfaction and maybe even a sense of holy dissatisfaction? Like, I just want more of God and I want him to have more of me. And I've been carrying around this burden of worry or fear or anger or, you know, whatever. You put fill in the blank for so long. I'm just getting tired of carrying that burden. And, you know, Jesus did say, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, for my burden's easy, my load is light. Come learn of me, for I'm meek and lowly of heart, and you shall find rest for your soul. Well, how many ways are there to get weary? I mean, you can get weary, worn out by a broken heart, through a broken relationship. You can get weary by carrying just a heavy, disappointed heart, frustrated. You can get worn out by worry, of course. You can get worn out by anger. You can get worn out by depression, by a sense of guilt, carrying a load of guilt and shame. You can even get weary in well-doing. So we're all weak in many ways. But Jesus says, if you're weary, you're qualified. Come to me. I'll give you exactly what you need and really what you want that you can't get for yourself. I'll give you rest for your soul. I'll give you rest. But you've got to give the burden to me. You've got to cast it on me. You can't carry this any longer. So th- these are things that can characterize our lives. And we don't want to stay in that state of just kind of feeling bound and in bondage to the stuff of life. Jesus said again, here's another qualification, if you will. He says, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture said, streams of living water will flow from within him. I'm going to tell you another story about my dad. So I heard a guy talking once about his dad. I mean, he was a speaker at a, one of our conferences, and he was talking about his dad, and his dad sounded so much like my dad. It was crazy. I mean, he'd been on the receiving end of essentially the same message that I got growing up. And then he said, he did, he, in reading the scriptures, he saw that God wanted him to do something that he would have never thought of on his own. And that was to honor his father by writing a letter telling him what he got right 
Now, like me, he probably could have let it written a really long letter about what he got wrong. But he said, he wrote this letter to his dad, and it made an amazing difference. Just He called it the tribute, an honor, to, to honor his father for what he did get right. Because, you know, whatever it is you think about another person, whatever you dwell on, really does get magnified in your mind, and it stays there. And so that's kind of basically all you can see. You can't see past that stuff. But maybe there just there are other things about a person. They may have got a few things right, even if only one thing. So he encouraged us. If he said kind of like what I said, if the shoe fits, you can wear it too. You know, but maybe you need to write a letter to bless your father or your mother or somebody else. So I remember taking that home with me, and I was by that time I was on the staff of Campus Crusade myself as a writer. And I stared at that blank piece of paper in my old manual typewriter, trying to think of something to say. I stared at that blank piece of paper. It was all rolled up there, and it stared right back at me. And I stared at it, and it stared at me. And I figured out, after a while, that somebody's going to have to blink first. And it's not going to be the blank piece of paper. So I just started praying and asking God for help. Again, God, I, I can't do this. And God showed me I needed to kind of start forgiving my way down to the good treasures of my heart. There were plenty of evil treasures in my heart, like, you know, treasuring grudges and resentments and that sort of thing, like there's something really to fondle, you know, just, you know, the treasures of the, uh, the evil treasures of the heart. But he brought me down, and I had to forgive my way again down to that place where I could draw from the good treasures of my heart. And you know what I found was just, I would say every, boy, every boy's delight, probably every girl's delight too, I was really proud of my dad in many ways. And I found I'm not the only one. I've just found it to be a universal truth and reality. Every boy, every girl, everybody wants their dad to be proud of them. And you want to be proud of your dad. Now, this is what little boys say. They say stuff like, my dad can beat up your dad. You know, (laughs) so where does that come from? You know, it may not even be close to the truth, although in my case, I think it was true. But, <clears throat> but I started digging down and finding things that I really, honestly, sincerely was proud of. My dad, he had built our house up on the hill. It was a replica of a Norwegian farmhouse, and actually it was very beautiful. My dad was a provider, and he was a protector. I remember we had we were the only family in the whole area that had an outhouse, you know. We didn't have indoor toilet until I was about seven. Because he built the house and it, it just grew with the family. Eventually, the family was large enough that we needed a couple extra bedrooms and, and an indoor bathroom. So we got one when the time was right. But in the meantime, we had an outhouse. And one day, some, somebody, 
I didn't know who at the time, but somebody came when we were out on a Sunday drive, and they had taken all of my mother's canned goods, vegetables and fruits and everything she'd worked so hard, you know, to feed a family of eight. She took all, they took all those, remember the ball jars, you know? They took all that canned fruit and vegetable and threw it into the bowl of the outhouse and destroyed it. And I remember my mom just crying over that. She'd worked so hard. And I remember my dad. He had this vein on his neck, you know, that would just bulge when he was really mad. It was bulging. And I was probably five years old. I can remember that, even to this day. It was a hot August afternoon, early afternoon. We lived on a dusty road. And I remember my dad knew exactly where to go to find the culprits. There were some teenage boys that were always doing stuff. And we seemed to be a target. And my dad, because of his very thick Norwegian accent, he was a, he was, they made fun of him, and they poked at him, and they tried to, you know, just push him. Well, they pushed him too far that day. And so he went marching down the street with, I can see still see the tufts of dust clipping at his heels. And he was marching rigidly. And, I mean, he had his business face on. And he marched into the neighbor's, a couple houses down, into the neighbor's home. And he dragged two teenage boys out. I don't think he even asked permission. It, it wasn't, didn't even occur to him. You know, that was the old, the old country coming out of him. So he dragged them home. And fortunately for those boys, my mother was just as swift in mercy as he was in justice. So apologies, cheerful apologies were made, and, and I'm sure that there might have been some kind of compensation of parents and so forth. I don't know the, that part of the story, but what I do remember is this. My dad was a protector. And I also remembered Sunday mornings, he used to listen to the radio Early in the morning, the Scandinavian hour would come on with all these Scandinavian, particularly Norwegian, polkas. And my dad was always happy when he was listening to his polkas. And he'd pick each of his kids up and give us a ride around, you know, on his shoulders, you know. And, and you know, just, he just loved the polkas. And I remember loving riding on his shoulders, hanging tightly onto his sandpaper chin. Well, he'd rock back and forth and go up and down. And I can remember the, what, the tune of one of them in particular. It went tra-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la
my dad died within a year. My sisters and I were going through his belongings. By that time, he didn't live in the family house. He had an apartment. And we were going through his belongings. And he had this little box where kind of a, I guess it was a shoe box, but it was sort of his little treasure box where he kept his watches and he kept his, he had tie clasps and he had cufflinks and that sort of thing. Well, that was his treasure box. Well, you can probably guess what else I found in that box. That letter looked like it had been read a thousand times. And he was working until basically the day he died. They were all smudgy with his smudgy fingers. And Well, you know, one of the rules of being a Norwegian, in case you don't know, is that you never, ever let anybody know if you're getting to them. You don't let them know that. Well, that was my dad. But I also know that my dad came to Christ before he died. It was very clear. My pastor, you know, and my sister's pastor, you know, my dad, when he was dying in the hospital, he definitely had received Christ. And I sort of think that God had to kind of get me out of the way, you know. My dad was pretty crazy, but he wasn't stupid. And I remember him coming to church with me once in a while, and I'd hear a sermon that I knew was just fit for him. I'd think, oh, sick him, God, sick him, you know. But God was sick in me. So this was, you know, the spirit-filled life is, it's real, it's practical, it's impossible. But by his spirit, by his power, it's doable. And some things in life don't challenge us that much, I suppose, but there are some things in everybody's life that just challenges you to the core. And... So, as we go through this, do you desire more? I mean, not less, but more. Not less problems. You're not going to have less problems. You're going to have challenges. In this world, Jesus said, you have tribulation. But take heart, for I've overcome the world. So there's no guarantee of a problem-free life. Challenges, opposition, difficulties of all kinds. It's a fact it's a fact. And they don't let up. But the power is there to meet them in a whole different kind of way that's not natural, it's supernatural. So Jesus said, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. You know, what is thirst? Well, thirst is a basic condition of need, you know. Just You get permission, full and complete permission to just come to him. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture said, streams of living water will flow from within him. So what did Jesus mean by this? John, the biblical author, I'm just reading from this now if you want to follow along, but he, he went on to explain, by this he meant the spirit whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the spirit had not been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified. He was promising to his disciples, this gift. Now this gift has already come. And he's come into you. When you invited Jesus, when you welcomed Jesus into your life, his body didn't come into you. You know that. His spirit came in. And he began a good work in you. 
that he aims to perfect until the day of Christ Jesus, until he comes back. He's, he's perfecting that work in us. He's maturing us. He's helping us to even realize our need for the power of the Holy Spirit. We can't do this in our own strength. Jesus promised that God's Spirit would satisfy the thirst that we all have. That spiritual thirst that we have. Our deepest longings of all who believe in Jesus. Many Christians don't understand the Holy Spirit or how to experience Him in their daily lives. I mean, I'm not hitting on all cylinders myself all the time. Trust me. Sometimes I don't even understand what I know. You know what I'm saying? I mean, nobody bats a thousand around here. But the following principles will be helpful, will help us to understand and enjoy God's Spirit. See, the divine gift, page four. God has given us His Spirit so that we can experience intimacy with Him and enjoy all He has for us. He freely, freely gives this to us. He doesn't give to us the Holy Spirit based upon what good and fine Christians we are. Because we're not. The Holy Spirit is God's permanent presence within us that he's promised. Jesus says, I'll ask the Father and he will give you another comforter to be with you forever. Another counselor, I should say. To be with you forever, the spirit of truth. Now that word another means literally another of the same kind as himself. The very spirit of Jesus, the spirit living in Jesus, now lives in his body, the church, and every individual within the body. It might even be just really hard to conceive that. But it isn't necessarily something that we apprehend intellectually, at least not initially. It's something that he just speaks into. He gives us an understanding of it that goes deep inside of us. And so, the Holy Spirit enables us to experience many things. Now, I'm going to take a look. I've got my Bible here. You can see in John chapter 3, verses 1 through 8. Now, if we were in a small group setting, I'd have somebody else stand up and read each of these verses. But we're not in a small group setting. Not that small. So, I'll just do that. In John chapter 3, if you want to follow along with me, and verses 1 through 8. John chapter 3, verses 1 through 8. I'll read that. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a member of the Jewish, Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher who's come from God, for no one could perform the miraculous signs you were doing if God were not with him. In reply, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he's born again. How can a man be born when he is old, Nicodemus asked. Surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, I tell you the truth. No one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and of the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit 
gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you, do, you cannot tell where it comes from or where, where it is going. So is everyone born of the Spirit. So Jesus promised that we're born again, we're born spiritually. We were born physically into this world, not by our choice. But we do have a choice And we did have a choice whether or not we were going to be born spiritually. God always works after a principle of consent in our lives. When you were born again, you received Jesus Christ as an act of your will, trusting in him and his his trustworthiness. You received him into your life. You know, even when Mary conceived of of, of Jesus... It was only after she consented. When she said to the angel, so be it unto me according to thy word, she consented. And that's when she conceived. When you consented, when Jesus said, I'm knocking at the door of your life and I want to come in, he didn't say, I'm going to come in whether you want me in there or not. You consented. And the same thing is true of every area of our every area of growth in our Christian life. When we consent, we usually consent to something in this way because we recognize the need. I mean, it's not like it is a really, you know, smart thing for me to do. It's like, well, duh, of course, I am on empty. I can't live this Christian life. There's people in my life that are impossible for me, and I certainly can't love them. I can hardly even get along with them. But by his by consenting, Jesus, please just take over, fill me. And we're going to go into that. Because this is happening, this, this, it all happens in the context of life. Not just in the context of, you know, kind of a sterile classroom like this. It's the everyday stuff of life. He enters into us. He, he fills us in the context of life. Moment by moment. Situation by situation. So, the assurance, he gives us assurance of being a child of God. Romans chapter 8, verses 15 and 16. I'll read that again, too. Romans chapter 8, verses 15 and 16 say, For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you receive the spirit of sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. I just know. I mean, I know, and you know. I'm, I may not, I'm not a perfect child of God by any stretch of the imagination, but I am a child of God. I am. And so are you. You belong to God. And if you belong to God, that's because you've been bought with a price. The precious blood of Jesus. The most precious thing in the universe was expended for you. To purchase you and me out of bondage to sin. You've been bought with a price. You are a child of God. And the Holy Spirit of God will testify to that reality and to that truth. In fact, he will prove to you that you belong to him. And so, 
And then in, uh, we also experience the infinite love of God in Romans 5.5. 5. I'll just turn back. And hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. Poured out without measure like rivers of living water poured out to overflowing. He's poured out his blood on the cross. He pours out his spirit to you and to me. That we might know that we know that we know that we belong to him. And so we have that assurance. I'm going to just uh, move on. Um, life, you see the, on page five, you see a, a couple of diagrams, a couple circles. There's one that indicates life without the Spirit. Before we, we became Christians. Do you remember those days where Self was on the throne or the control center of your life, my life. Christ is outside knocking, wanting to come in, but maybe he didn't even know that he wanted to come in. Maybe he had no idea about this. But still, he wants to come in. And, the, and, and, and this is a characterization of the, of the person who is not spiritually alive. Uh, in 1 Corinthians 2, verse uh, 14, the man without the Spirit does not accept the things come from the Spirit of God for their foolishness to him. And he cannot understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Can you recall what's your attitude and outlook, you know, impression of who God is before you came to know him? I mean, even the Christian life, did it seem like it was something that was interesting to you? I mean, to me, it's boring. You know, I thought I had this really, my understanding was like, wow, if I ever got serious about that, right, there goes number one, there goes all the fun, you know, and uh, at least the things I thought were fun. And, you know, it just seemed boring. And, you know, I mean, I like adventure. You know, I'm a son of a Norwegian. My dad was a sailor and he had all these sailing stories. And I liked, you know, adventure. I like doing stuff. I didn't want to sit around and fold my hands and behave myself. You know, I'm I'm probably about the biggest square there ever was now. But so, I mean, I like being a square. It's working out okay. But, but, you know, I I just thought that just does not have any appeal to me. And it had no appeal to my flesh. And that's why it had no appeal. But I, I, I couldn't discern spiritual things. I had no understanding of these things or the value. But the spiritual man makes judgments about all things. We have the mind of Christ. I mean, it just changes your whole point of view, your understanding. Um, it only made sense to me to just be at war with my dad and other people all around me, for that matter. I mean, that's kind of what life is. It's just one big battle. You fight your way through it. And, you know, you try to choose your battles, but you're always at the ready. And that's what life was to me. But those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about things that please the Spirit. I mean, what a transformation that you not only understand these things, 
in a, in a sense that you're growing in your understanding, but you want to know more. You actually have an appetite for these things. It used to be that your appetite was for sin and stupid stuff. But now you've got an appetite for righteousness and holiness and purity and, 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 and being loving and caring. And, you, you know, you just cringe at some of the stupid things you've said and you, that, that you still say and do. You know, it's like, oh, man, I can't believe that. You know, but, you know, and one of the surprising developments in the Christian life as you go on and grow on, you think, well, by now I'd think that my flesh would be a, a Christian flesh, Right. Well, the sad reality is that the flesh never gets converted. It's just as big a stinker as the day you first believed. But now you understand, I don't put any confidence in that flesh of mine because it's proven over and over and over again how utterly unreliable it is. So my confidence is not in my flesh, not in myself, but in the spirit to enable me, to give me not only the ability but also the wisdom to walk with God, to have a holy and and a humble fear of God. So that's the Holy Spirit teaching us things we don't know how. So why are many Christians not satisfied in their experience? Why are we not satisfied, not just them, but ourselves? Why are we not satisfied in our experience with God? Well, let's take a look at this next page, page 6. The present danger. We can't experience intimacy with God and enjoy all he has for us if we fail to depend on his spirit. Moment by moment, situation by situation. Not just way back when, when you kind of had a little breakthrough, but every day. And being prepared every day for new challenges. People who trust in their own efforts and strengths, maybe leaning on their own understanding, their own habits... Uh, to live the Christian life will experience failure and frustration. It just is inevitable. As, as, as will those who live to please themselves rather than God. So we can't live the Christian life in our own strength. And in fact, this is what Paul said to the Galatians. Are you so foolish? After beginning with the Spirit, are you now trying to attain your goal by human effort? I mean, it's kind of like, well, okay, God, you gave me forgiveness, and I trust that, and I believe that, and I'm thankful for that, so thanks for the lift. I'll I'll see you when I need you. When I get back to giving God that crazy job description again, you know, like your job is to bail me out when I get in trouble, and I will, so it's nice to know you're available. But, you know, trying maybe even through sincere but legalistic kind of efforts to say just if I just have these rules to follow that'll keep me in line and um, you know but it'll also keep you in bondage to the rules so God has something much more than just religion kind of earning your way into God's favor because when you do sin and you will when you mess up you kind of feel like oh now I gotta what do I gotta do now and Satan the accuser comes along. He's got you where he wants you. He said, yeah, just kind of like what I heard my dad say, so you call yourself a Christian, huh? You call, you're a lousy excuse for a Christian dad or a Christian husband or whatever kind of hat you wear. 
you know, what a lousy excuse for a Christian you are. You see what you did, and you keep doing it too, by the way. You know, look at you. And so, you know, what do you do when you feel accused and condemned? You know, don't you want to defend yourself? So you start to defend yourself, and you start to put up the, the guard. You say, you know, and... and you know, you might, I mean, I like to call it figurative fig leaves. You start strapping fig leaves over yourself. You start justifying yourself and you start, you know, well, it was, you know, I was just having a bad day and it's just kind of everything's going to, you know, you go back into Eeyore like my friend, oh, poor me. You know, and so you get into this thing where you want to justify yourself. I'm a victim or I'm, you know, like Adam said, well, it's a woman you gave me. I wouldn't be acting like this if you didn't give me that woman. You gave her to me, by the way. It's a woman you gave me. And if you'd given me a perfect woman, we wouldn't be having this conversation. So it goes on like this. And so all of our fig leaves, of course, there's nothing but lame excuses. And there's this trouble with fig leaves is that fig leaves always wear out, just like our lame excuses. They get thin. So what do you got to do? You got to keep strapping more fig leaves on yourself. You know, more fig leaves, more justification, more, more uh, blaming other people, and on and on and on. And it goes like that. And then Satan comes along, and he's right where he wants you. His name is the accuser, the brother, and he accuses you day and night before the throne of God. And even in your own head, he comes along and tells you what a lousy Christian you are. And so what do you do with that? So you start, eventually, all of your excuses wear out, and so you start punishing yourself. You start beating yourself, flogging yourself. That old self-talk comes around and starts. you just start agreeing. Yeah, I'm just so lousy. I'm so rotten. I'm so stupid. I'm not going to mount anything. I'm, I can't even, I'm just so tired of faking it. You know, so you get this heavy load. Being a Christian is a real delight at that point, isn't it? And you're walking in fear of judgment and condemnation. You feel all beaten down. And it's not that, like, you know... And so the only reason I know this, folks, is because I've been watching you. Now, I know this because I've been watching me. And I go to those places sometimes, and you hear those voices and those things that are con- a condemnation, and you start now agreeing with your adversary. You start agreeing with your adversary. Now, when you start agreeing with your adversary, which is Satan, That means you're automatically in disagreement with your advocate. And our advocate has one plea, and one plea only on our behalf. My blood. My blood. You're cleansed by my blood. You've been bought with a price. You don't even belong to yourself. You belong to me, and you're my responsibility. When we come into agreement with his argument and his plea on our behalf, Satan cannot stand against that argument. He can stand and he invites every one of our own mechanisms for self-defense. But he cannot stand against our defender. And this is what the Holy Spirit will convince you of. He will convince you of the truth. 
And the truth will set you free. And if the Son of Man will set you free, you shall be free indeed, even in the face of your enemies. You'll be free from your own thinking, your own accusations. He came to set us free. So I'm going to stop at this point because it's the right time to stop. But I want you to just take this with you. Consider this. And we'll pick up somewhere where we left off approximately next week. Maybe do a little bit of review. But we'll just continue on with this message. And I hope that you understand as I understood when I heard this message for the first time and the second time and the third time. And I need to hear it all the time. It sets you free. Jesus died on the cross to set us free. He gave us his spirit that we might live in that freedom that he has won for us. Amen? Jim, what a great reminder as we head into a time of observing the Lord's Supper, a reminder that because of the bread and the cup, that's how we have the Holy Spirit to help us each and every day. And so I invite you to uh, think about uh, your own life, think about what Jim just shared with us, and as we head into this, um, allow the Lord to speak to you, allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you about your life. If there's anything you need to take care of, business, encourage you to take care of that. If you um, have received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you're welcome to this table. If not, we invite you to just let it go for now. Um, but if you'd love to, you can receive the Lord tonight. We'd love to talk to you about that um, if you would like to do that when we're done here. But we want to just worship our God now. And this is a time of reflection, but this is also a time of celebration, as Jim just shared with us. Celebration that God has given us a new life. And he doesn't leave us without hope, but he walks each step with us and helps us live the way that he desires. So as we sing this next song, feel free to come as you're ready and receive the, the elements. and Take them back to your seat, hold on to them, and in a few minutes we'll all partake together. Oh, 
Paul in 1 Corinthians says, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Jesus, we stand here in your presence this evening. We thank you for the new life that you have given each one of us. We thank you for what This bread represents your body that you freely gave us. You gave us your life so that we could live forever. And so, God, we receive this with thanksgiving, and we do this in remembrance of you. In Jesus' name, let's partake of the bread. In the same way, he took the cup. Also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes.
Jesus, we thank you for your blood that was shed for us. We thank you that by your stripes we are healed and that you, your sin, your, your blood doesn't just cover our sin, but it completely wiped it out. And so we thank you that you've taken our sin and thrown it as far as the east is from the west and you remember it no more. And so we stand in your presence. We don't have to feel condemned for now there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So we thank you for your freedom. We thank you for your gift of life as we receive the cup and are reminded of your great gift for us. Let's receive the cup together. Let's give God all the glory, all the honor, and all the power that is due His name. Most worthy, worthy of praise, exalted, above all things, my God.
everyone said, amen. Praise Jesus. Have a great rest of your week. We'll see you on Sunday. Thanks for joining us in the study of God's Word with Pastor Kerry Wacker. We'd love to have you join us in person for worship each Sunday morning at 9 a.m. or 1045 a.m. We also meet Wednesday nights at 630 p.m. Warren Community Fellowship is located at 56523 Columbia River Highway in Warren, Oregon, between Scapoose and St. Helens. For more information about Warren Community Fellowship or about WCF Ministries, call us at 503-397-4387. And don't forget to like us on Facebook.